the reason why Paolo's probably the odds-on favorite is because they posted workout video of Chet Holmgren and Jabari Smith when they came in, but they were a little bit more secretive about Paolo Bancaro. Almost in a way, they refused to tell the media if they worked him out or not. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Here's your boy Q. ESPN's Jay Will, Jason Woods, talking about the NBA draft, and we're going to dip into the NBA draft in just a second with Coach Scott Spinelli, former college basketball coach, host of The Breakdown on the Believe Podcast Network. And Coach, appreciate your time, and I want to dip into the NBA draft, but before we do that, last time we talked, we uh, we were talking about NBA finals. It's been wrapped up now. The Warriors hoisted another trophy. How shocked were you or surprised were you, or maybe you weren't, that the Warriors were able to rattle off three wins in a row to close that thing out? Well, uh, first of all, uh, thanks for having me again. It's always a pleasure to be here with you guys and talk hoop. Um, all along, we talked uh, in the NBA Finals about Golden State being that team that had that championship lineage. And even when they were down 2-1 um, on a lot of the different shows that you know we were on, um, you know, we basically thought Golden State was going to win um, the championship. And, and the main reason had more to do with just their experience in those big game uh, settings, meaning the championship, not the conference finals, the championship. And I think what happened in that series, um, it was kind of clear in game four when Steph Curry pretty much made those uh, incredible shots, had a Herculean performance in terms of making those three-pointers contested, bumped, wasn't even looking at the basket or squared at times. Uh, I think it really deflated Boston. I think it really took the you know kind of the wind out of their sails. They were up four with five minutes to go in the game, um, and then all of a sudden that happened. And I think you saw Boston really kind of never gain their confidence moving forward in games five and six. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Are we not talking enough about Coach Kerr and giving him a little bit more credit than, than he probably, you know, he probably deserves a little bit more than we're giving him right now? Wow, I, I tell you what, the job that he took, that was a Golden State team that did not have, uh, you know, there were things that they didn't have. But what they did do is really what, and he did, and I think this is, you know, again, when you talk about uh, the unbelievable coaching job he did, he basically found a way to play to each individual guy's strength. And I think a turning point in the season is when they went and they moved Draymond Green to that that small ball five-man position at times, um, and they went smaller. Um, they basically had almost a .5 man out there with Draymond making every right play, willing to make the right play, not as concerned about scoring. And then they had weapons and skill guys all over the court. And then with that, they do a tremendous job at moving without the basketball, and they play so well together as a team. And again, we've talked about this repeatedly uh, throughout the NBA and the NCAA Division One basketball season, and that is the three-point line is the great equalizer. And I think Golden State, the way Coach Kerr orchestrated that and changing up the style of play, I mean, think about that. Think about being the opposition and Draymond Green's getting outlet passes on made buckets and you're taught as a guard to stop the ball, and here comes Golden State down the floor with their five-man handling the ball, you're already at a disadvantage because mm-hmm. the matchups are already 
um, you know, kind of screwed up just right there in transition. So, again, big, big credit to Coach Kerr and his staff. I think they did an unbelievable job with that team. Talking right now with Coach Scott Spinelli here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. Today we found out about Kyrie Irving and the fact that uh, he's given a list, apparently, to the Brooklyn Nets. I don't know how true this is, but these are the reports about teams that he could potentially go to. What do you make of this whole mess going on in Brooklyn with Kyrie and Kevin Durant and this whole, like I said, this whole mess going on? Well, first I'm going to speak about Kyrie because uh, his dad and I were college roommates. Uh, we played together uh, at Boston University. And again, very, very good family. Um, Kyrie is a, is a, you know, he's got a great heart. Um, you know, the, you know, Kyrie's one of those kids that, you know, grew up. He had to deal with some tragedy at a young age. He lost his mom at a young age. And, you know, Dredrick, his dad, who's again, to this day, one of my closest, if not closest friend. And, you know, you really kind of feel for, you know, everybody involved here. But at the end of the day, look, I, you know, I would never speak um, about what, some of these guys are having to do or wanting to do. Um, I think it's an unfortunate situation all the way across the board. Kyrie's a terrific basketball player. And I think, again, you know, when you talked about and you can have arguments all day long about vaccines and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, that's really not really for us to even kind of talk about. Everybody has a right to do what they feel is best for themselves. And that's, you know, that's what it is out here. And as far as, you know, Kyrie's relationship with Kevin Durant, look, you know, I'm sure that those guys have a bond and they want to, you know, play together and maybe try to win a championship together. So who knows where it goes from there. But I do want to tell everybody that's listening to the show, Kyrie Irving is a high character, good person with a great heart. Talking right now with Coach Scott Spinelli here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. Now, the NBA draft, very intrigued by that. I always say that it's kind of uh, difficult to, I guess, navigate through and really figure out because there's so much unknown to it. But when you look at the NBA draft, how are you looking at it? It tips off in a little bit, like a couple hours from now. What are you thinking about the NBA draft? Who are you seeing at the top of the board? You know, look, in all due respect, I think there's those three top guys, Jabari Smith, obviously Chet Holmgren, and you talk about Paolo Banchero, I don't think you can go wrong with any of the three. But if you're asking me, I'm going Chet Holmgren 1, I'm going Paolo Banchero 1A, and I'm going Jabari Smith 3. And here's the reasons for me. One, Chet Holmgren is a guy at seven feet tall in a modern-day NBA where everything is about versatility and skill. And he's one of those players that can do it from three levels at his size. He also is a two-way player, meaning he has tremendous instincts defensively, both of the, as a shot blocker, weak side. He keeps those, uh, those balls in play when he blocks those shots. At the same time, even guarding the basketball, he's got great instincts. So uh, he obviously rebounds the ball. So I think there's a lot there with a guy like Chet Holmgren. And the one component that I've tried to almost uh, really kind of pride myself over the years, and I think it's really important, is to say, look, you're a coach, you're in a front office, you tell me one thing that Chet Holmgren cannot do to help you win. Name one. Oh, what? He's a little weak. I mean, is that the really the reason why at his age that you would not take him? Because to me, he helps any team win in so many different ways. That's what I love about him. And Paolo Banchero, look, he's physically ready. 6'10", 250, skilled guy, another three-level guy. He's, got, he's tremendously uh, versatile, take you off the dribble, take you into the post, um, showed some real flashes of stardom in the NCAA tournament where he put his team on his back. 
Um, like to see him rebound a little bit more in and out of his area. But again, he's young, and I'm sure he'll get to that. But he's probably the most physically ready. And, and Jabari Smith, look, I mean, you're talking about a guy that is another tremendous three-point shooter with mid-range game, and he's kind of got a uh, crafty ability um, to get his shot off without taking a lot of dribbles. His game with all those intangibles and that savvy really translates to the NBA. He's another guy destined for a great career. Talking right now again with Coach Scott Spinelli, former college basketball coach, host of the break, Breakdown on the, the Believe Podcast Network here on Radio Nation Radio 920. And I saw, Coach, the other day that you had uh, you were working on some clinics, some international clinics with players. And uh, obviously you love teaching, you love coaching. What are you looking for in players? When do you look at in these guys and say, okay, I can work with him, he's got it? I tell you what, I think the most important component in recruiting, and I think the same thing goes into building a team, is the evaluation process. And right now, this year, because I was able to kind of take a step back and do uh, work like we're doing today, I really learned so much by watching video, NBA games, college games, and at the same time, have been to uh, so many high school and prep school, uh, junior college practices and games, and have worked hands-on with a lot of kids. Uh, but I think the number one thing that you really want to see is coachability. Guys who accept coaching, um, kids who understand that, you know, look, they just want to get better. They get, they're going to embrace the grind um, because that's really what it comes down to. I mean, it's all about getting better. Every kid has his own path. Every kid, uh, you know, develops physically and mentally at their own pace. And not to compare themselves or say, hey, I'm not a five-star today. Uh, you know, I'm a kid that's not even on a sneaker, uh, you know, uh, circuit AAU team. Who cares? Just get better. And I think a lot of these kids, and the message to me, to a lot of those guys, was, hey, guys, look, you control your own destiny by means of developing your skill. Become the best shooter you can, the best ball handler you can, and obviously passing, dribbling, and shooting and versatility is where the game is today. It really is. It really is. I think that's great words right there to live by if any player out there is listening because, again, it's about the work that you put in when everyone's not looking. You know, when the lights aren't bright is what you got to really go and get your grind on. As far as players in this upcoming draft that we might not be paying attention to, guys that might not be on our radar, but you kind of see and you're like, you know what, that guy's got some talent, some good ability if he goes to the right system or the right team. Is there a guy that's kind of on your radar right now? Well, there's a couple guys I think that come to mind. Look, I mean, again, staying kind of on the course of those guys who have uh, that skill package and can shoot the three, I think you can't get enough of those guys. I mean, look at Buddy Beheim at Syracuse. Mm-hmm. I don't know where he is in the draft. I'm not even sure, you know, he's going to get drafted, um, you know, tonight. I'm sure he will, but if he doesn't, you know, there's a guy with tremendous skill, um, who's a tremendous three-point shooter, did it consistently throughout his career, uh, you know, in the ACC. Um, I think he's going to be a guy that you got to keep an eye on. Um, I think the kid so- so- Sohan yeah. from Baylor yep. um, is another guy that I think is going to have a great career, not so much because he's a shooter, but because he's got such a high motor and he defends. And I think you could play him sort of like a Draymond Green type as an undersized five, even though he's got great size to him. But I really love his uh, intensity, his effort. He rebounds the basketball. And I think another guy, again, you know, that you got to look at as a three-point shooter is Gabe Brown from Michigan State. You know, mm-hmm. great size, mm-hmm. lefty, can really shoot the basketball. Been around a great program, great coaching staff, and Coach Izzo and his staff. 
and has gone through uh, the Big Ten, you know, grind for many years. I look for him to be another sleeper that, again, because he can shoot the basketball so well from the three, and he doesn't have to have the ball in his hands. I like him also. There you go. Those are some good names right there, Coach. I definitely appreciate you. Great breakdown. I look forward to the NBA draft tonight. Uh, again, it's, it's going to get all started in less than an hour. should be a lot of fun to kind of monitor and see how it all shakes out. But thanks for your insight as always. We definitely appreciate you, and we look forward to talking to you down the line. Thank you so much for having me tonight, okay? I'll a lot of fun on your show. Thank you. Absolutely. Appreciate you, Coach. Great stuff. Coach Scott Spinelli right there, former college basketball coach, host of The Breakdown, the podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Make sure you check him out at Coach underscore Spinelli on Twitter. Uh, good dude right there. Good breakdown. Uh, and it's funny, he mentioned uh, he mentioned Sohan from uh, from Baylor. You know, it's actually it's so funny. I have some notes here, and that was a guy that I was going to ask him about, and he, he brought it up without me asking. And the reason I ask about Baylor, guys, is because I'm very familiar with him. You know, I've seen him all. I, uh, I've talked to Sohan multiple times, and I think he's going to be an incredible player. Uh, and Scott Drew, what he's been able to do at Baylor as the head coach, winning that national championship, really building that program up. It used to be – Baylor University used to be a women's basketball school. Now it is a basketball school. They're working on trying to make it a football school, you know, a football program. In the state of Texas, football's king. We all know that. But I'll tell you what, Baylor is making an argument that the men's basketball team is just as good, if not better, than what the women's basketball team has done. And for years, they put banners in the rafters there at the Farrell Center. 414 is the time. Many thanks to Coach. We'll come back, take your calls and texts. Coming up at 430, don't forget, Amber Thea Harris, Sirius XM NFL Radio. She'll talk all things NFL. Got a lot of headlines to get to, and we'll talk to her at 430. This is Radio Nation Radio 920. Texas is back. Don't believe me? Arch Manning seems to think so. Vince Young, Quinn Ewers, and Arch Manning. Only the three quarterbacks ever to receive a perfect 1,000 rating by 24-7 sports composite coming out of high school. But what else do they have in common? All three committed to the University of Texas to play football. Arch Madness is officially over. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy Q. That was John Zoball, host of Locked on Horns. Very excited about Arch Manning making the decision to commit verbally, I would like to say verbally, to the University of Texas. He says Arch Madness is officially over. It is never over in recruiting until they're signed, then they're sealed, and then they're delivered. Now that you got the verbal commit, that's step one. You know what step two and step three are? Keeping the verbal commit. But, hey, you know, the Texas Longhorns, the Texas Longhorns, they're ready to yell their back. I'll tell you, man, I love my time in Texas. I sure did. But, boy, if I could count, if I had a dollar for every time someone told me that the University of Texas was back and they're about to run the Big 12 again, I would be rich. I'd be like, Dave Chappelle, I'm rich. You know what I mean? That's, yeah, exactly. That's exactly how I'd be. So funny. But, hey, you know, that, that was a big deal. Actually, going to talk about Arch Manning coming up at cover three. That that was a big deal that they got that verbal commit because I'll tell you, every single single school in the country has been chasing this young dude since he was a young dude. You know what I mean? Ever since he put that last name Manning to to the to the end of his name, Arch Manning. Once they said Manning, oh yeah, we're chasing him. That dude has been a hot topic forever. Every school in Texas, every school anywhere in the country. Wanted that young man to play for him. So for Texas to get the verbal commit, big deal. Now they got to go get him to sign, seal, and deliver. And 
they're hoping he signs at the first signing period, which is uh, early, uh, before the end of the year. If he waits till the second signing period, which is, what, the week of the Super Bowl? <laughs> Good luck holding on to that verbal. That's not easy. 421 is the time. Coming up at 430, we'll have Amber, Amber Thea Harris, Sirius XM NFL Radio, talking all things NFL. But let's go out to the phone lines, talk to our guy. Gangster Raider, what's on your mind? Welcome to the show. Hey, what's happening, Q? Tell hey, two dudes, I think, that's going to make a big difference. I think Deron Harmon, he's going to be what we thought Corey Littleton was going to be. And I think Kenyon Drake, he's going to be what we thought he was going to be because we got a real play caller now that's going to use him the right way. So them the two, I think, going to make a big difference. But I just want to reminisce, Q. Remember when we used to have to buy one, get one tickets back at the Coliseum, <laughs> and look at where we are now. You know what I'm saying? Can you imagine them having to buy one, get one at um, Allegiant? Oh, you man. Know what I'm saying? Man. <laughs> man, I want to welcome all the new Raider fans, but I want to tell all the um, diehards like me, Raider 66, you, all the people that went through the hard times from, like, 2002 to now, we back. You know what I'm saying? Stick your chest out. We'd have been through the desert. We'd have walked through the dirt. We'd have walked through the um, Antarctica to get to the promised land. And we're in the promised land, y'all, now. And um, get ready. Enjoy the season. Really enjoy it. You know what I mean? Because we're going to have an epic season. I'm telling you. We're going to have an epic season. Everybody hop on that 40 to 1 odds for Derek Carter to win the MVP. Because <laughs> I think with the weapons around him and with the play caller that we got, they're going to really. Um, Utilize the weapons that we got and utilize Derek Carr's skills. And he was already what before the um, wheels fall off last year. He was a leader in the MVP candidate anyway. But I just want to say everybody just re- re- appreciate what we got now, especially the ones that've been through the hard times. Appreciate where we at now and enjoy it, soak it in, feel it, relish in it, brag about it. You know what I'm saying? We earned this, we deserve this, and thank um, Mark Davis for making it happen. That's all I want to say. Y'all, we back. Oh yeah, shout out to um. Um, passionate Raider, his woman, you know what I'm saying, his wife. All right, y'all, I'm gone. All right, there he goes, Gangster Raider, shouting out Passionate Raider and shouting out all the uh, the the old school Raider fans that have been through the mud, man. And I'll tell you, uh, as a Raider fan myself, I'm just I'm just happy to to coming off of a, a playoff berth. You know what I mean? I mean it's it's so much more fun when you cover a team that that is doing some good things than a team that's won four games and they're picking you know top five in the draft and here you go. How is this one player going to turn around the team? I mean, the good thing about this team, what excites me about this year is they're not that team. They're a playoff team, and all I feel like they've done is gotten better. Now, of course, look, it's June. You've got to go out there and put in the work. You've got to have that mindset. We talked to Andrew Glover earlier today uh, around 3.30 here on Unnecessary Roughness on Red Nation Radio 920, and one of the things he said is you've got to have that mindset. You've got to go out there and just say, we are better than everybody else. He said when he was in Minnesota, they were blowing folks out. They were 15-1 and one that year. They were blowing folks out, and the question wasn't if they were going to win the game. It was by how much. Now, I can appreciate that. When you have that confidence, you have that swagger, it's not being cocky. It's just being confident about yourself. Like, I know this is a dub. I'm going to go out here and get this dub because I know that this team is better than the other team. The Raiders have a tough schedule. JT talks about it all the time. They have a tough schedule. But I don't look at any team on that schedule like, there's no way they win that game. You know what I mean? Like, that's not the case. Like, I look at the Houston Texans who are on the Raiders' schedule coming out the bye week, and I say, that's a team that there's going to be plenty of games on their schedule that they're going to say, yeah, that's going to be a loss. Houston's not a team that can feel good about their schedule and feel like there's nothing, there's no team that they can't beat. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful and sound like, you know, they're a scrub team, but they're just not at that spot. 
Jacksonville, another team that the Raiders have to play throughout the course of the season. I think they're going to be better. They got Doug Peterson. I'm not convinced that Trevor Lawrence is the guy. He hasn't shown anything. And, oh, just like Derek Carr, when he went to Jacksonville, guess what? They were a mess. They were a joke. The organization was a cluster you-know-what. So it's not easy to win, even if you are a good quarterback. It's not easy to win if your organization's not very good. So Jacksonville's got huge questions. Trevor Lawrence has huge questions. There's a lot of teams, if you go up and down and look at them, it's like, yeah, they're not really ready. There's not a lot of teams in the league that you could really say have a good opportunity this season to make a run. I think if you want to be 100% honest with yourself and anybody else, you could look and say the Raiders have an opportunity. I don't know how far that opportunity is going to go, but I do believe that they're a team that is a playoff team that has an opportunity to make a run. It's going to be tough. It's fine. Who cares? Who won the Super Bowl last year? The Rams. Guess what? They play in a tough division. Fine. You know what I mean? Like, I, I never like hearing that excuse. Oh, well, we always get the toughest schedule. Who cares? To win the Super Bowl, guess what? It's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy. Nothing is given to you. Look what the Warriors just did. Nobody, including me, who was a Warrior fan, thought that they were going to go win the, 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 the championship this year. I thought, oh, yeah, they're going to make a nice little run in the playoffs. That's cool. I didn't think they were going to be in the finals and was concerned when they were down. But they got it done. You got to get to the dance. I think this team has a chance to get to the dance. Once they get to the dance, everything else is, is gravy. It's on the board. You, you got to go out there and earn it. I think every guy in that locker room, especially the ones that have been there, done that from last season, the Darren Wallers, the Max Crosbys, the Derek Carrs, the Josh Jacobs, Hunter Renfros, the Alex Leatherwoods, the Andre James, Colton Millers, those guys, I think they, they got a taste of what it could be like to go to the playoffs. Oh, by the way, the guy on the sideline calling the plays, he's got a taste of what it means to go to the playoffs and go to the Super Bowl and win the whole damn thing. Josh McDaniels, been there, done that. Nothing's going to be easy. Training camp's not going to be easy. There's going to be some guys that are going to get injured in training camp and going to say, oh, what happened? That's how they got Denzel Perryman last year, remember? They had injuries to the linebacking court. Javen White, young man out of, out of UNLV. He's going to come save the day, right? He gets injured. Now where's he at? In New York with the Jets. But the reason that Denzel Perryman, Pro Bowl linebacker, is on the Raiders right now is because they suffered injuries in training camp. And the regime said, hey, let's go get this guy. We make it happen. I like, I like their chances. They just got to go out there and they got to execute. And, the, and, and it starts the veterans report on the 20th and the rookies report on the 18th. That's when it starts. They've already kind of done a little bit of work with mandatory minicamp and OTAs, but that was, that was just kind of like the, that was the trailer, right? <laughs> That's when you're sitting in the movie theater and you're just watching the previews. That's what that was. When it comes down to the 18th and the 20th, That'll be the real deal. That'll be the real McCoy. That'll be the feature film. In a minute or two, we'll have Amber, Amber Theo Harris, Sirius XM NFL Radio, joining the show to talk all things NFL. Got a lot of good, uh, got, a, got a little good headlines to, to ask her about, man. There's so much, so many storylines when it comes to the NFL right now. Talk about the offseason. Doesn't feel like there's too much of an offseason, man. It's just always something going on when it comes to the NFL. And with that being said, let's go ahead and go to the phone lines and talk to Amber Theo Harris, 
SiriusXM NFL Radio. You can find her on Twitter at that exactly. Uh, I'm Amber Theo, Theo Harris. Excuse me. Amber, thank you so much for your time this evening. We do appreciate you. There's a lot of headlines going on in the NFL, a lot of storylines. We talk about the offseason. doesn't really seem like there's too much of a, an offseason. So let's start with Deshaun Watson and that situation going on in Cleveland. Uh, did it surprise you any how quickly he was able to go from having all these civil suits to having 20 of them settled? <laughs> Well, first of all, it's good to be back on with you guys. Good to talk to you. Um, No, it doesn't surprise me at all because when somebody did something, they want it to go away. And so, you know, I think in the beginning he was professing his innocence that he's going to fight it until the very end, and these allegations are false. And that's right up until 24 women started giving their testimony and all of the very uncomfortable, very inappropriate details started coming out. And once the HBO special, HBO Sports and mm-hmm. Soledad O'Brien did the special, and we actually were able to put a face to some of these women, which unfortunately that shouldn't have to happen, but I, I give them credit for coming out and speaking. Um, you know, it just got really, really bad for Deshaun Watson, and it was very difficult for him to continue with the, I'm innocent, I'm going to fight it till the end. Because it seems like the longer he kept saying that, the more information that was coming out. And, you know, I don't care what topic it is. If 24 people in this world all say one thing happened, something happened. Right. You know, what, to what degree happened, we will never know. But something happened. And he knows that. Uh, his lawyers know that. Uh, he wants to be able to try to play this year. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think the NFL will probably suspend him for a year. That's just that's my that's my guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, you know, I think it was better for him to try to make it go away, get these women to sign some sort of an NDA after the settlement, and you know, it's America. We move on, right? Right. <laughs> that's what we do, and I think he was banking on that. Like any other scandal in sports, you know, if we just kind of make it go away, then I can I can move forward. I, I'm assuming that's what his mindset was, without being. Uh, inside his legal team. Who do you think put the most pressure on him to get this done? Do you think it came from Cleveland, who gave him all that money? Do you think it was his legal team, as you mentioned, or or do you think it was other? That's a good question. I'll never know. Um, I don't think – I would hope that a, a football team, that one of the 32 franchises would maintain a professionalism and, and not push for a settlement and a sexual harassment I'm, I'm sorry, sexual misconduct case. Right. I would really hope that wouldn't be the case because there's no place for that, and that is, that's not what um, front offices should be doing uh, with regards to anything legal with their players. Whether or not there was a feeling of that from the Browns that he felt, I'm not sure. Nobody can say that. But I, I, would, I, would, I, like to give, I, like, I like to give situations the benefit of the doubt, and I would hope it wasn't coming from the Browns. Um, no, it's no secret the Browns would love to have him on the field. They paid $230 million <laughs> for him. I mean, they have an incentive to try to make this go away as well, but whether or not they were active in that, I think that's, that's too presumptive. You can't make that assumption. Right. Um, I think it came from the facts, right? I think it came from probably lawyers looking at the situation and, say, and then maybe PR people, not within the Browns, but people that um, you know maybe are working with him on this or working with his attorneys. They very often have people that you know work in the, the court of public opinion. That's their job is mm-hmm. to kind of consult of how this would go. So I think he was kind of hearing the facts and realizing that how much 
the tenor within the fan base of the NFL within the entire United States went from, well, innocent until proven guilty, he didn't get indicted, we don't really know, he said, she said, and then it became, she said, she said, she said, she said, she said, she said, and then they're, oh, and now she's saying he did this, and that, I mean, Mm -hmm. it just kept going and going, and there was no way to swing the pendulum back into his favor in the court of public opinion, or at least to the point of, questioning, oh, maybe he's, you know, maybe he didn't do anything. And right. most people just point out, like, he did something, yeah. right? He did something. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. We don't know to what extent, but to something. And so I think at that point, the pressure was just, if you're real with yourself, you say, look, I, I need to make this go away. Fighting it might not be the best thing, because if this goes to trial, mm. then everything really comes out. Right. And then it's extended even longer and um, that's that's even more of a distraction. I mean, if that goes into next year or next season with trials, that's that's even longer. You know, forget what the NFL would suspend him. You know, he's he could be going to court while he's trying to be the quarterback. You know, after a suspension, trying to get back with his career. Right. So he probably was like, "Let's do this now." <laughs> yeah, let's get this over with. We got to get it wrapped up. I got to get back into some kind of good graces, or at least understand what's going on with my with my career. That makes a lot of sense. Again, Amber Theo Harris is our guest here on Unnecessary Roughness Radio Nation Radio nine twenty. How about his teammate? And I know they're not really technically teammates because we know Baker Mayfield is going to be playing <laughs> somewhere else, but they're technically teammates right now. So when do you think a team is going to make a move for Baker? Because obviously he won't be in Cleveland this year. Yeah, he will not be in Cleveland. I think that's, that ship has sailed. Um, I think there's like a less than, you know, if I were a betting woman, uh, less than 1%. You guys are in <laughs> Vegas. You know the odds. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think that would happen. Um, you know, that, that chapter of that book is over. So, you know, a lot, of, a lot of rumors about today, specifically about Seattle. But it's always been Seattle and Carolina in the picture. And I really think... You know, right now, if you ask yourself, is Baker Mayfield better than Sam Darnold or Drew Locke? Um, yeah, I mean, yes, the answer is yes, right? Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't one of those teams go after him? Now, the other thing is that Jimmy Garoppolo is, is available and is out there. Um, and I think, I mean, me personally, until I see more from Baker Mayfield, where we see some more leadership and maturity and a guy that can unite a, a locker room, which I don't know if he can or can't, but something went down in Cleveland that that kind of at least opens the door of doubt as to what kind of leader he is. We I don't know what it is, but clearly um, when you don't hear one of his teammates, none from right. Cleveland, come out screaming in his defense when it's leaked from your own organization that they needed an adult in the room. Mm-hmm. So. And they were referring to Deshaun Watson as the adult. <laughs> I mean, what is, you know what I mean? Yeah. What does that say about whatever they felt about Baker Mayfield? And in my opinion, that 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 statement was completely not fair to compare Baker Mayfield for whatever he is, whether he lacks leadership, whether he lacks maturity, to compare him to somebody that's accused that twenty-four women have accused of sexual misconduct is not fair whatsoever. Um, so, but something went on that, you know, there's question marks about who he is as a locker room guy. Now, Jimmy Garoppolo is the complete opposite. Jimmy Garoppolo was in a situation last summer where he was competing with Trey Lance, and he couldn't have been more professional, more happy, more uniting with the team. Uh, he won the job, and, you know, they go to the NFC Championship. So he's two out of the three years, you know, past three years under him. So he has kind of a proven record that in the right situation, yes, he might not be um, – 
the best quarterback, but in the right situation, he's a guy that can unite a team. The problem is, you know, I think he's about, what, $6 million more than right. Baker Mayfield's price at this point. So it just comes down to which, which team wants who and who is willing to give up what and what the money is. I think that's really what it comes down to. I would see Pete Carroll more going for a Jimmy Garoppolo, but mm. uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how it's going to pan out. Right. It's going to be interesting. I, I know one thing. He's not playing in Cleveland this year, so that's going to that's going to be something. So we, we will see. Yeah, not happening. Right. Again, we're talking with Amber Theo Harris here on Radio Nation Radio 920. I wanted to ask you about the congressional hearings that went on with Roger Goodell yesterday and Daniel Snyder being in France, chilling, doing his own thing. What did you make of, of really Roger Goodell kind of falling on the sword, but then at the same time saying, hey, I'm the wrong guy to talk to. You need to be talking to Dan. <laughs> um, I think it was probably – exactly what you would expect, right? I mean, he gets paid, I think it's about $45 million a year, and the owners are his bosses. And his job is to protect the shield at all costs. And who's the shield? The shield is the 32 owners. So if one of the owners is is being called by Congress to testify, it's Roger Goodell's job uh, to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Um or, or at least I think the owners see it that way. Like, you handle it, <laughs> which we pay you for. But then when it comes down to it, he can't answer questions for what did or did not go on inside of the Washington commanders and at, at one point the Washington Redskins. He, he can't answer those questions. He wasn't there. Um, so I think he gave a truthful testimony of, you know, there's no question something went on there that was completely inappropriate. I can't answer the details. You've got to talk to the guy that was in charge um, and I think I, my personal opinion on Dan Snyder is that he has single-handedly, I grew up in the D.C. area, mm-hmm. single-handedly killed a franchise with one of the most storied histories, um, a, a, a diehard fan base, a true identity, and, and really just put a, a stake in that, the heart of that franchise. And I know that people in the DMV would love nothing more than to see him not be able to own the team anymore because it would almost be like, you know, they're 20-whatever years at this point. What was it, 97, where he took over? Mm-hmm. I mean, 20, 25 years of not being proud of who their team is and what they stand for and definitely not proud of the results uh, when, you're, when you're a child like me of the 80s where you just thought that going to the Super Bowl was a normal thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and, and so, you know, I, I, I know I, from, a, from a female standpoint and being in the, this industry for so long, mm-hmm. um, and actually knowing some of the women that testified in front of Congress a couple, about a month or two ago, um, I think it's, it's a travesty if he's allowed to still own the team. Um, we work in hostile cultures all the time in sports. And the worst thing that can happen is these women are brave enough to say, this happened. This happened to me. This has affected my life. People don't understand the trauma that comes with um, some of these acts against women within the workplace. Wanting to just go and work hard and be able to advance in your career and having to deal with all this other stuff is very traumatizing. And for them to stand up and say it and be willing to testify in front of Congress only to have this man still own the team uh, would be a smack in the face to anybody who feels like they should stand up. Why would they? Why, why, how can we create change if nobody's going to be willing to stand up? Cause it's not going to make a difference. Right. So uh, as, a, as a DMV girl, I, I would love to see... Um, these pers- I would love to see him. I'm glad he's being subpoenaed. I want to hear directly from him. And I think it would be great if he didn't own the team. 
Yeah, it, you know, it really blew my mind when I heard different people that worked either for the Washington football team or around the building and said that, you know, they were told not even to look him in the eye if they saw him in the hallway. Like, what kind of person is that, right? Yeah, he, yeah, making people, and, and this is firsthand knowledge, you know, making people call him Mr. Snyder that were, you know, I mean, to me, everybody is the same level, but people that were high-level executives or heads of networks <laughs> that you don't have to. I don't have to call you Mr. Schneider, you know? I I actually heard one person, well, okay, why don't you call me Mr. Mm (laughs) So-and-so by my name? Right. (laughs) And then they kind of stared each other down, two powerful men. It was just very bizarre, very childish, very egotistical. And I don't think that's a secret for anybody that's been in or around that that franchise. When I was was, uh, just starting with Masson back in uh, the mid-2000s, I was given the choice to cover the Ravens or the Redskins at the time. And I had been inside both organizations, inside both buildings, and I picked the Ravens. And I grew up a a Washington fan. Mm. And I picked the Ravens because I saw the way that team was owned. I saw the team, the way it was run. I saw the way women felt inside of that building. And it was a no-brainer for me compared to the complete opposite with the Washington franchise. Man, that that tells you all you need to know right there. I mean, that really is is a, a testimonial. That's a mic drop moment. And, I mean, me, I grew up a Raider fan. I'm here in Las Vegas covering the Raiders. And so it's like a dream come true to me. So I'm assuming that you would probably feel the same way if the environment was correct, right? I mean, that's that would have been a dream yeah. job for you. And you, you passed it up because the, the situation wasn't correct. No, and, and I didn't know much about I, – I knew more about Washington at the time than I did about the Ravens. Uh, but I had been, like I said, been covering both teams to a certain extent. And I'd heard from other people, and I, I was young, and I, I just knew it would be a better environment, a healthier environment for me, and it was. I was right. there for 12 years, and it was amazing, and I still will stand by owners like Steve Bishotti, um, versus you know what I experienced on the other end. That's awesome. That, that's a hell of a testimony right there. And, and obviously you made a, a really good decision and you're doing really well. And before we wrap Thank this you. up, Amber, and this has been fantastic. I do appreciate your time. I did want to ask you real quick about Josh McDaniels and his opportunity he has now with the Raiders. Uh, he comes into a team that was in the playoffs last year. They went through hell and high water to get there, but they did it. And he's a really good play caller. What is your outlook on, on the Raiders just from a distance? What are you seeing? I'm excited. I, I think you guys in Las Vegas should be very excited you have a very tough division, as you know. I think if you ask 10 different people what the orders, the finish is going to be for the division, and I've done this on SiriusXM. I've asked multiple analysts. They all give me different orders. I mean, nobody can predict. I mean, could it be the Chargers? Could it be the Raiders? Could it be the Chiefs? Uh, I don't know, but I think the Raiders have the chance to make the biggest jump. And here, this is all I have to say to you fantasy owners out there. Get Hunter Renfro. Renfro. Look at what Josh McDaniels has done all the way in the past with slot receivers, with slot receivers that were good but not great. All of a sudden, and I know that Derek Carr is not Tom Brady, but Derek Carr is pretty good. Uh, and look at the years. Go back, and this is something you can do for your next show. Look at the 2007 <laughs> year with the Patriots when Randy Moss was there. So, so let's say Randy Moss is Devontae Adams. Look and see what a guy named Wes Welker did. So pick up Hunter Renfro. <laughs> pick him up. on your fantasy team there it is i love it i love it great breakdown great stuff amber thank you so much appreciate your time you do a fantastic work with sirius xm keep it up and we'll look forward to talking to you soon thanks for having me have fun absolutely you too no doubt about it amber theo harris right there sirius xm nfl radio there you go raider nation there you go there's your fantasy advice she said go pick up hunter renfro Devontae adams treat him like randy moss 
You saw what happened with that offense when Randy Moss was there in New England. Look to see what Wes Welker did. And she told me, go do that for your next show. So I'm going to go do that for my next show. 4.45 is the time. Take a quick break. We'll come back, wrap up the show. This is Radio Nation Radio 920. I'm looking forward to, to the anxiety associated with that uncertainty, with having to stand and deliver, to live out what we believe in. The standard is the standard. It's like McDonald's, right? You know what a number one is. It don't matter where you go, what corner of the globe, a number one is a number one, and that's what I want Pittsburgh Steelers football to be. And so it doesn't matter who put their hands underneath the center, as far as I'm concerned. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Here's your boy Q. Steelers head coach Mike Tomlin right there. Referencing at number one, I always, and I told it the other day, I'm not a fast food guy anymore as far as it goes with burger joints. There's a few locations that I like. I was actually asked about that today. I was on my buddy's radio show in Fresno, Fox Sports, my guy CK, and he was asking me about burger spots in the Bay, and my favorite spot is Nations. And so he's he asked me about some spots here, and I said, I'm a, I'm a fat burger guy. I like fat burger here. I think that's really good. in and outs good, but it's not the end-all be-all like a lot of people think it is. I don't know. You got a favorite burger spot here? Let me start with In-N-Out. I love In-N-Out, but okay. they are very overrated. Yeah, I, just, I, I, I just think, think so. I think every burger place is overrated. You know, when That's I was fair. in Texas, it was like, oh my gosh, Whataburger is the best yeah. thing ever. And I was like, it's all right. Yeah, a lot of people compare those two and they're right. kind of the same thing. Like, yeah, where I'm from. How do you water. not like Whataburger? Yeah. And I was like, it's just a damn burger. Right. I do think the <laughs> In-N-Out's pretty darn consistent, though, which you don't get. Right. No, I, places, I like I like it. I think that's one of the few. I think I get a double-double there. I'll plug somewhere. Maybe they want to do some sponsoring. Yeah, go on, do it, man. Hurry up, man. Go on, make it happen. Uh, Freddy's is uh, it's is that the drive-through? Like well, old school? It's, well. it's got an old school flavor to it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. That place. Yeah. Is okay. Awesome. I it's like Fat Burger. Fat Burger's cool. It's right up the street. Comparable. Yeah. 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 Fat they got a nice little spot. But I, I'm just not, you know, a big like McDonald's person. Not not like it's it's bad. It's just not. I think I just outgrew it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think no, you, I'm with you. I think you just outgrow those kind of things at a certain point, and they're still good for kids, but. It's just not my thing. But he said a number one. I always thought it was a number two. Isn't it a number two that everyone bought from McDonald's? At least uh, that's what I always used to get. That was like the double double cheeseburger meal. I was never a normal anything I was getting. There's nothing else normal about yeah, you even right now, brother. So the, yeah, I was probably number 14 or something. <laughs> even my usual, number 14. I'll 5. tell you right now, man. One day I took my son, I took little Q and little Q. We went to McDonald's one day, and my older son said, let me get a filet of fish with extra mayo. And I said, what the hell did that come from? He's like, it's good. I was like, boy. That is a weird order. It was for a, a weird order for a kid, right? <laughs> like, Let me get a filet like of a fish with extra mayo. Room. Yeah. I'm like, man, you got a problem, brother. But it's all good. Do you like pizza? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Grimaldi's is my spot. Grimaldi's right. is my spot. Oh, okay, yeah. There I love Grimaldi's. It's right down the street from us. We get we get Grimaldi's, no doubt, once a week. Yeah. I don't know if this fits the bill, but we're doing uh, the National Days. Oh, okay. Today. Okay, here we go. Segue. All right, National Days of the Day. Which ones do I, I think are silly best. and which ones do I think are good? Well, we'll start with some legit ones here. So Detroit-style pizza day. Okay. It's the deep dish. Like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I like that. That's cool. So, like, I'm cool with, because we're the whole the whole bit here is what, that it's like, well, where are all these days coming from? Like, do we need all yeah, these days? Yeah, that's the thing. I think that there's way too many days of the day. Like, oh, There's, like, seven every day. Right. So, like, yeah. there's no reason for that. How come a day can't be one day? Yeah, it almost seems like they're trying to market like, things and why get would money you put, out of it. Why would you put Christmas, New Year's, Fourth of July and Thanksgiving all on the same day? Like, that doesn't right, make yeah. sense. It's also National Thanksgiving Day. Yeah. Right, exactly. Very strange. 
Uh, but this one I'm I'm down with because specifically, you know, there's a lot of different kind of pizzas. Yeah, like that's cool. Cromaldi's does like the thin crust, right? Yeah, pizza. Uh, it's the it's the brick oven pizza. So I wonder. JT if does a, a million commercials for it. It's yes, great. he does. They're 15 seconds. I'm JT for Cromaldi's. Yes, I'm well familiar with that one. <laughs> this is cool. So maybe there's a uh, a, a brick oven day. Knowing that there's a million pizza days, too, right. which is crazy. But for sure, I'll allow this one. Uh, and then another one that I'll allow because we're in Las Vegas. It's National Hydration Day today. Okay. Okay. Hey, so, you need to stay hydrated. D- yeah. Denzel Perryman says it all the time. Stay hydrated. That's right. Drink so, your fluids. There's some you can, yeah, some make sense. Uh, the rest of today goes, I like this, International Women in Engineering Day. Oh, hey, I, hey, you had me at International Women. I was good. <laughs> I was good. I was good. You said no more. I'm good. And she does engineering. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> that would be like Taraj Minaj. Wasn't she an engineer? Taraj Minaj. That sounds so familiar. Taraji P. Henson. That's what oh, I call her. Okay, Taraj. Yeah. Wasn't she I in that one movie where she was like, yeah, it was a lot like of a movies. Yeah, but she was she was a she was like an engineer, right? And it was kind of old school setting. It was a it was a true story. Hmm. Oh, man, I don't you know. know I don't know movies. Hours I'm, I'm not, from now when I don't we're know movies. There. I'm not. I'm terrible at movies, but I just yeah, know Taraj Minaj guy. was in it, so I watched it. Taraj Minaj. Yeah, that's her name. Nice to know. Yeah. All right. Uh, taking a weird turn here. International Widows Day. Oh wow, that just killed the mood. You know. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yes. Again, to reiterate, we don't need days for everything. And no. Then, uh, and then there's United National. Excuse me, United Nations Public Service Day. I'm just going to move on from that. Yeah, please. National Pecan Sandy's Day. That's oh, forced cookies? to me. Yeah, come on. Uh, that sounds like something guy. to specifically I'm not, I, yeah, to sell. Yeah, I'm not really a cookie guy. Yeah. I, I, like, really? I, I do like Oreos. Oh, you're missing out. I'm not. I'm not a sweets guy. I don't uh, eat a lot of sweets. Shameless plug for one of our sponsors. You never had the crumble cookies when they bring them here? They're amazing. No, I don't. I don't, I don't eat sweets. Not. I mean, I do, but not very often. Go with the program, man. Whatever. Come on. Come on. What else we got? All right, and finally, National Pink Day, which is uh, the first... Used as a color name in the late 17th century, pink is a pale red color, like you didn't know that, which got its name from the flower of the same name. Well, I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of drivers here in Las Vegas that think the lights aren't red and they think that they're pink. (laughs) That's fair. When the light turns yellow, slow the hell down. It means it's about to turn red, not pink. So there you go. There's a purpose now for this. Yes, exactly. My dad told me when you drive in Las Vegas, son, and the light turns green, pause. Just wait. Because there is some swinging D coming flying through that intersection who thought that they just ran a pink light. Oh, yeah. No, you ran a red light. See, we care about public safety around here. That's what we do. 4.55 at the time. Ari, great job. Thank you to all our guests. Thank you to all the listeners, everyone who chimed in, either way, on the Sam Nash text line or the Radio Nation listener line at 702-365-9200. Wake up with the morning tailgate. Clay Baker, Vinny Bonsignor, Heidi Fang, they'll do their thing. 7 to 10 a.m. on Radio Nation Radio 920.